0: Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 33, Speed, from 1994. We finally made it. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have a very special guest, first-time guest in the history of the Cage Club Podcast Network, President Tom Ng. Hello, President Tom.
1: Hey, Joey. Hey, Mike. How's it going?
0: Good. So now you, when you signed up for this movie, I did lots of research going back into when you requested movies for this, and a bunch of people picked Speed. The next movie that you wanted to pick on your list in terms of the order was Bill and Ted, which I think basically everybody wanted to do. But all the other movies that you picked, people wanted to do more, and so I really wanted to get you on here. You had Speed number one with a bullet, and I was like, this is the movie for him. So... With that said, what do you love about this movie? Keep it brief.
1: Oh man, it is a it is a thrill ride from start to finish, pun intended. But I, I think more than anything else, it is one of the most underrated action films uh, that I've ever seen. It really has a lot to offer, and coincidentally, when I went on my first date with my current girlfriend, uh, we had been talking about our favorite movies, and, and when she had said, had said Speed, I, I almost asked her to marry me on the spot. That was, Whoa,
0: uh, she said Speed. You didn't even say Speed. I didn't even say Speed.
1: Wow. It was it was magical.
0: So when you watched it with her in preparation for this, did those memories of your first date come rushing back?
1: Yeah, but then they were promptly stomped out by Dennis Hopper and his malice and wild bus carnage. Yeah.
0: Well, Dennis Hopper back from River's Edge, right, Mike? Mm-hmm, yeah, missing a
2: thumb this time.
0: Oh, man. Okay, so here, this is the question I want to ask. Before we get into this movie... I don't know that there's a right answer to this question, but there's a wrong answer. I think then I think of the remaining answers, there's a more right one and a less right one. So this question's mostly for Mike, but I think, Tom, you've seen all these movies you can compare to. Comparing this to the Nicolas Cage action trilogy, in terms of pace, tone, plot, sort of the whole thing, is this most like, do you think, The Rock, Con Air, or Face Off? Again, there's one wrong answer, and then there's a more right and a less right. It's least like Face Off. Yes, correct. I'll say that right off the bat.
2: I'm going to have to go with Con
0: Air. I want to get Tom's guess, and then I want to hear your explanation. Because I don't want your explanation to cloud his judgment. You've See seen all-, all those movies, Tom, right?
1: I have seen all those movies, but to be fair, I haven't seen them since maybe the late 1990s. So based on my memory alone, sure, I would say it probably reminds me most of Face Off. Just, just I, know, I know you might be mad at me for saying that, but just because... Of the absolutely flamboyant villain uh, that okay. that plays such a such an integral role to the plot and the motivation of the antagonist, a con air, I I definitely don't think so. I I mean that was that was just that was just a mess, and and maybe the rock, <laughs> maybe the rock, just because my good friend convinced me that it is really just another James Bond movie
0: with Cage as James Bond. Or Sean Connery no, has James Sean Bond. Sean
1: Connery is James Bond. That he is actually James Bond playing. That's his, that's his theory that he read on a website somewhere. But,
2: <laughs> uh. All right, now, Mike, why do you think it's Con Air? Because it's basically speed on a plane, for all intent in, and in
1: purpose, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, part of the joke about speed when it came out is that it's diehard on a bus. At this point already, by, I feel, 94, the diehard premise had sort of been exploited Beyond Belief. It's amazing that they're still making diehard movies. Yeah, and I feel like if you can just accept that premise, all else will follow. Fun is just waiting for you. If you can get past the poster, the title, whatever, just get into the theater somehow, and I really think you're going to enjoy this movie.
0: I think as a fellow cage expert i think conair is the more right choice cuz i think both movies they spend basically the middle hour like for the movie about the speeding bus they're only on the bus for an hour and this movie's 2 hours long and for a movie about a plane full of convicts they're really only on the plane for like that middle maybe hour 15 hour 20 both have like this really intense action scene at the beginning this they have the extended elevator scene that one that we have Cage basically beating that guy to death and at the end there's another sort of separate action sequence and I think both have like this guy or girl on board who takes over under sort of unexpected circumstances I think this is basically Con Air on a bus or or I guess as you said Con Air is speed in the plane
1: I don't know if I necessarily agree with that and and mainly just because of two things one The Wildcat in Speed, Sandra Bullock, is far more interesting and developed and just integral to this movie working than uh, literally anyone else on the plane in Con Air. And in addition, the one thing that I think I appreciate most about Speed, and this was definitely more true when I was younger than when I watched it this weekend, but I, I always felt like Speed had a really nice gradual release of suspending my disbelief it gets increasingly more and more chaotic and crazy. So if you were just like pick it up at the very end and watch the subway scene, I would be like, this this movie is ridiculous. But because they had led me that way, little by little with each ridiculous plot twist, I was ready for that, for that subway scene where uh, Hopper loses his head. I don't think Conair did that, right? I mean, like Dave Chappelle fell out of a plane with a note carved into his chest, if I recall, right?
2: Yeah, he is thrown out of an airplane with a note attached to him, yeah, by Nick Cage. Yeah, your arguments are totally valid.
1: Yeah, Con Air,
2: he's definitely more of a one man on a mission. There isn't really much of a sidekick for him in that movie. Uh, I'd say Sandra Bullock is kind of playing the Stanley Goodspeed role here. Oh, from right. The Rock, you know, we almost got like an amalgam of the uh, Cage action films here with with Speed a little bit. And, and this almost looks a lot like, I was watching this, it, it's got that look that The Rock has that Point Break has like it's got that 90s Los Angeles gloss to it that I think of when I think of 90s action films and just kind of fits right into that vibe there so and and also with Con Eric it does sort of blow its wad early on like within (laughs) the first minute Cage has murdered someone with his bare hands and then within the next 20 minutes it's like okay here's a plane full of the worst bad dudes on the planet and take it from there and yeah speed does kind of have like this gradual increase you know starting with the elevator action sequence and then eventually like building up to the bus stuff he's right like it leads you along a lot easier than these other movies tend to do and i think the rock does that as well also like it does the same thing speed does where it's this escalation of craziness whereas con air uh, is sort of just full tilt right from the start, but yeah. uh, but but I still think. Con Air and Speed are, are, I don't know, there's just something about them that feel like twin films, because one is like this action movie bottle episode on a bus, and one is on a plane, so hmm. that's, they just feel like they belong together.
1: That's a fair point, I mean, I as I think about it now, and I, I think back to this week and watching the movie, I didn't even realize Dennis Hopper's head fell off and there was no blood.
2: Yeah, they say the F word so much too, I think that's where they actually get the R rating, I don't think it's from the violence whatsoever.
1: And also the gratuitous panty scenes and all the ridiculous shots of people's butts. Totally, totally gratuitous.
0: I was thinking about if this movie was made today, I'm pretty sure they would tone it down to be PG-13 because there's not a lot of violence. They would just sort of cut out the swearing. That's one other thing. As I was discussing this with, uh, with other friends, not on the Cage Club Podcast Network, I apologize, guys. But I was just talking about action movies from the nineties and they were and they were saying that the nineties R rated blockbuster has died. And I think that's partially because like the MPAA became more lenient in what you can allow in a PG thirteen movie, and because anybody can buy a ticket to a PG thirteen movie, movie studios are more likely to do that because they'll get more money. And so I really feel like if this movie came out today, there's nothing in it that's too crazy violent. You're certainly allowed to have scary movies in terms of like thriller or suspenseful moments like the people in the elevator at the beginning. Do you think that this would be R-rated today, or do you think that this is sort of tame for, aside from language, for like R-rated standings?
1: I think it could absolutely be rated R, but like you could just show more scenes of the, the people getting sucked under the bus wheels and stuff like that. I think if they had the opportunity to go R or go PG-13, they would probably make the wrong choice and make it rated X. Oh! Absolutely unnecessarily. But I think one of the things that makes it nice is there is a lot of gratuitous language, but like I watched this as a kid with my dad because there wasn't anything that would really ruin me or was totally inappropriate uh, other than giving me a completely false expectation of what it means to be a man. Yeah, and
2: I, I agree as well. The MPAA is what's changed. I, I think this movie would still get an R rating if it was released today because of the language alone. Like, they're way more concerned with sex and language than they are with violence nowadays. And yeah, like Tom was saying, like you could amp up the violence and, you know, go... Paul Verhoeven with this movie and show the gore, right? I mean, we have Jan de Bontier who he shot Die Hard and he has a great eye and he's a good action director, but, you know, I could just see someone a little more seasoned. And Although, I, and again, like I'm going to kind of, I might nitpick this a little bit, but I'll just get it out there. I really love this movie, and it's a lot of fun. But you could have gotten someone like Verhoeven to push it a lot further. But it could have lost some of the fun, you know? It would have made it too serious, because we're dealing with stuff like homegrown terrorism and disgruntled employees, and Dennis Hopper is a former bomb expert for the police department who's gone rogue and become like this mad city bomber and wants his pension money and stuff, so they definitely could have gone like, a little too serious with it. I think they, they managed to capture, like, the right balance for this because, you know, it's a bomb on a bus. They can't go under 50 miles an hour. Like, there's just an inherent sort of comedy built into that ridiculousness of the premise that you can't take too seriously, and I feel like too much violence would have pushed it in that direction.
1: And, Mike, I'm really glad that you brought that up, because, Joey, when you first asked me, like, what I loved about this movie, the other thing, aside from it being, like, horribly underrated, I thought, was that it was just, like, a really original idea for a 90s action movie, which is, like, granted, it's a 90s action movie, it can only get so original, right, but, like, a bomb on a bus that is triggered by the speed, I thought was, like, pretty unique, and immediately engaging however i also thought that despite that it seemed very light as you guys just said it had some exceptionally deep social critiques that i did not realize until i watched it recently in my late 20s let's get get into it It. let's get into it so i thought that more than anything else speed made a fascinating and scathing indictment of american bureaucracy okay so from everything from like the workers didn't finish the freeway, right? To the cops being incredibly inept at communicating. One of them even went to that lady and was like, take my hand when like you can't take people off the bus otherwise they would blow it up, right? How did they not communicate that? They can't get the money fast enough, right? Like this is the 90s, not the 1930s. Like there are wire transfers at that time. All all the way to the, the point that like Hopper didn't get his pension money, right? That is his motivation for all of this. The overall devaluing of public servants and Finally, the only competent person is Jack, played by Keanu Reeves, who is chewing gum on an active bomb scene, right? Like, <laughs> so anything you value based on this bureaucratic social hierarchy goes out the window when Jack just kind of shows up popping bubbles and doing whatever the hell he wants, but is also like the only person who is competent and, and quick enough to react in a way that's meaningful and actually save the day because he totally ignores the bureaucratic structures that everyone is beholden to.
0: Well, it also seems, so a a couple things, when you said to me in the last couple days that you have these really deep themes about speed, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm gonna let you go with it. And I like these these points he pointed out, so they're very insightful, I like that. One thing that we noticed while watching Cage's movies is especially, I want to say Michael Bay, is that who I'm thinking of? Who
2: am I thinking of, Mike? Jerry Bruckheimer Productions,
0: basically. So, yeah, yeah, so a lot of these 90s action movies make cops out to be real buffoons and sort of completely inept at everything they do. And, and here, I feel like they're actually not as bad as we've seen them in other movies that we've been doing for, maybe not Keanu Club, but for Cage Club, at least. And actually comparing this to Point Break, I mean, the cops around are kind of less asshole than they are in that. But in a lot of 90s movies, I don't know if it's just liberal Hollywood lashing out against post-Rodney King America? I have no idea what it is. Like, I don't know if it's like serious or just entitled guys taking a shot at authority because they can and because they know that millions of people are going to see their movie and just sort of make them question. But I think that is something that's not only seen in this movie, but seen in a bunch of movies ranging from, I guess, like the early 90s to like mid to late 90s and probably even today. Like a lot of the Jerry Bruckheimer movies and the Michael Bay movie, like The Rock and stuff, have cops and have law enforcement just be completely big dumb idiots. The other point that I want to make is that comparing this one to Point Break, which I think is Keanu's most similar role so far to this, once again a law enforcement agent. And I get the sense in this that he's young, or at least, you know, not just in age, but also like sort of in tenure, because Jeff Daniels is quizzing him and just, you know, pop quizzing him while they're on the job. And it seems like he's, like, you know, studying up to become some higher level or rank or whatever, right? And so it's, like, nobody in the police department can do anything to stop this crazy guy except for this young guy who sort of hasn't been tarnished by the system. To quote Point Break, like, he's young, dumb, and full of cum and is, like, willing to shoot a hostage to get the guy, like, sort of think outside the box. And I think that it's, like... The system is broken, and the only way we can rescue it is if these young guys, like Keanu, like either Johnny Utah or Jack in this movie, if they are able to sort of overcome and not get sucked into what's going on.
2: I definitely think that Keanu and his partner are some of the best cops I've seen, like, in action movies. I'm not talking about the rest of the police department. I just mean, like, the two of them. They rival Delroy Lindo and and Timothy Olyphant, (laughs) and gone in 60 seconds so far, reigning cop champions of action films and I totally see the other themes going on here like I see the Keanu character is like he's the next generation The police department is like all these old guys with mustaches or talking about just hold on until your pension and Keanu's like just got to be the best I can be it just seems like he's still trying to figure it out figure out how to work the system how to work within the system how far he can push stuff like he's young he's not afraid if he gets reprimanded or any of that and he's going to take risks and he's yeah he's going to come in here as the young guy with the new point of view. Yeah, that's kind of like Agent Utah as well, although I do feel like they're actually drastically different characters. I feel like this is one of the first times Keanu's playing somebody who, at least in the first part of the movie, before he gets on the bus, someone who's super self-assured and in control of all the situations, and he's got all that muscle on him and everything. I just feel like his presence alone changes things.
0: I agree with that. That he does seem self-assured, but I do want to credit Johnny Utah. Like I don't, I don't want to, you know, bash Johnny Utah. I want to defend my man because in that movie, he's willing to go undercover and, like, you know, he's sort of listening to Gary Busey, but he's not like in over his head. You know, what I mean? like it's just things get crazy. It's sort of the same thing here. I think they're more similar than different. Maybe just the way that Keanu plays them, and maybe because as the movie goes on, they just sort of become in one sense or another, like 90s action stars?
2: I suppose. I just guess in the sense that Johnny Utah was entering a world he knew nothing about, that surf world, the undercover world. So in a sense, his character was sort of one step behind most of the time. And in this, uh, even when Keanu gets on the bus, he seems like a guy in his element. Like, he's going to deal with a crisis situation, and he's used to it, and... It takes a lot for him to lose his cool, and he only does it towards the very end of the movie. So, I don't know. I just kind of got... He carried himself very differently than he did in that movie. I was expecting it to be just Johnny Utah again, and then I hadn't seen this movie in so long. I forgot, oh, he's doing something different here.
1: I think all of this is important to contextualize, too, in that it was the 1990s. And, like, I'm not saying that as a, as like a kind of toss-away comment, but I it said earlier that, like, this drastically changed my perception of what it meant to be a man and I the more I watch when I watch this movie again and the more I think about it, I think that's really true, right? I think, um in the nineteen nineties, it was in many respects kind of the golden age of hypermasculinity, where intuition was what was overvalued, not thinking through things, not logic, not reason, just going with your gut and doing the right thing. There was literally a line where Dennis Hopper says, Yeah, well I'm smarter and then he goes, No, but I'm taller, right? And like then decapitates him. So like there's clearly an appeal to 1990s ideals of what it means to be a man. And I I think that included being intuitive, being impulsive, going with your gut, but always having the moral compass. And kind of putting the BS aside to go do what is necessary to get the job done. And I think it's really interesting that we have that. I'm not sure where the trajectory of that came from, but I'm sure having watched every Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves movie, you can probably see that happen. But I I just remember in the 1980s growing up with MacGyver and the A-Team, right? Like people whose entire premise of their show was that exact idea. Um, I think we still value that today, but it's definitely far more based on how those actions impact others and sometimes being a little bit more apologetic, right? I know, like, Lethal Weapon is coming out on Fox soon, but, like, I I wonder if Martin Riggs could actually survive in the 21st century, same degree of popularity that he did in in the 1980s, right? And I think that's important contextualization when we think about these these action heroes, as well as how we as, uh, at the time, very young boys uh, interpreted what it meant to be to be a man.
0: Well, as you were saying all that, I was thinking because the guy who wrote this movie originally, and it's the writing credit on this movie is Graham Yost. And Graham Yost created the show Justified. He was the head writer and the showrunner on Justified. And it's based on a book from 1993, so the same era, but... It seems like Graham Yost's thing, like, the way that you're describing Keanu in this movie is almost verbatim a way you could describe Raylan Givens, the Timothy Olyphant character, in Justified, and that just ended a year or two ago. So I think that even though this was big in the 90s, I think that it's still alive today in terms of having, like, a moral gray area, but still a sense of, like, what's right and wrong and making sure you, like, do good things and being self-assured in your actions and, like, knowing in your heart that even if people doubt you or question you or whatever, that your actions are justified. So I think that it's interesting to see. I just have justified on the brain because when I saw it was written by Graham Yost, I was like, oh, right, yeah, like, creator of one of my favorite shows the last decade or whatever. And it was also, side note, rewritten, or, like, the dialogue was completely rewritten by Joss Whedon. So, I mean, this is, like, a, a movie with, like, superstar talent on the page, so...
1: And Mark Harmon, the guy who did Criminal Minds, was the, what, executive producer for this.
0: So there you go. And I mean, it was directed by Jan de bon, as we talked about, who was the DP on Die Hard and also on Roar. If you haven't seen Roar, Roar is amazing. And Jan bon literally got scalped on Roar by a lion. So he had to get like hundreds of stitches or something. So check out Roar, because that's amazing. But in terms of like the characters and like the type of, sort of the breed of masculinity that seems to appeal to Graham Yokes, it kind of feels... I mean, comparing it to other '80s stuff, like sort of very different in a way than like Shane Black stuff, right? Because Shane Black's about like these guys who are sort of macho on the outside and sort of unsure of themselves on the inside, but like Graham Yost is sort of like these guys are just cool, badass dudes.
1: So, two thoughts, Joey. First, I have a lot of trouble giving Yandabon any credit after Speed Two, which, as I understand, was was, he involved with Speed Two? He was a director, and it was predicated on. And correct me if I'm wrong, you can fact check this, but from what I understand, it was predicated on a reoccurring dream he had of a cruise ship crashing through an island. And he told that to the writers, and Speed 2 happened. So I can't give Yondabot too much credit, because that was it was literally a movie about speed on a boat that was moving very slowly. It's a bad like, movie. Like... It's, it's, a very, it's a very bad movie. <laughs> anyway, so that was the first thing. The second thing is, I think part of the reason why... I firmly believe speed has withstood the test of time in many ways that a lot of other 90s action movies may not have is because you see a degree of self-awareness in the character of Jack. And I think that is one of the most subtle things Keanu Reeves does uh, in his performance, but it is very clear, right? Without Harry, which by the way, can we just talk about how Jeff Daniels' character is named Harry?
0: Yep. I brought that up to Mike off air. It's it's amazing. The same year as Dumb and Dumber. Yep. Same year came out. Two characters named Harry.
1: I can't even. Oh, So anyway, right. When Harry dies, you can see that Jack is, like, really nervous about it. Dennis Hopper calls him out on it and says, like, what are you going to do without the brains of this operation? And it looks like Jack is really struggling because he realizes that he is intuitive. He's the partner that that pushes Harry into situations, but he's the one that figures it out, right? He's the one that figures out that Dennis Hopper was hiding in the elevator when they were in the hotel scene earlier, right? Uh, he's the one that identified the watch as something you would give a, a retired cop or something, I guess that's what the reference was to. But it, that it was that self-awareness and that doubt that adds a dimension to Jack that Keanu brings to it that I really appreciated. And I, I think that is part of the reason why it, it works today in a way that a lot of other action movies don't. Because you see these guys who are hyper-masculine just go for it and say, like, forget the consequences. And you never feel like Keanu is saying, like, I'm doing this to show off. It seems like he's feels like he's doing it for the safety of others or because there's no other choice. A part of that is either good or bad screenwriting because the situations he put in are, are so gratuitously out there. Whether it's the woman pushing the shopping cart full of tin cans across the street or a school deciding to walk across the street at the very same time that a police escort has just passed by. Right. Like all of these things just keep happening. But he responds to them in A reasonable way, given how ludicrous this situation is.
2: Yeah, I think he plays it just right. Like he knows the type of movie he's in. He's not trying to play this like serious drama or anything. He realizes he's in a a movie about a bomb on a bus that can't go under 50 miles an hour, and that iconic Dennis Hopper's playing the bad guy. Like it it adds a a dimension to it that says it's okay to laugh at this, or we know it's ridiculous. Keanu even says to. Sandra Bullock a couple times, when Sandra Bullock's like, is this really happening? He's kind of laughing, like, <laughs> yeah, like, we're doing this. Or That's why when he goes underneath the bus in that little trolley, you're with him instead of against him, you know? Like, mm. it's a riveting little that's action it. sequence, and he's clinging onto the bottom of a freaking bus, for Christ's sakes, and Construction Man has to pull him up. But, like, you're so down with it, because, yeah, not only Keanu, but also, you know, Dennis Hopper, he's totally pushing it really far. He's, he's giving it a lot here. He is not holding back.
3: What do you think, Jack? You think if you pick up all the bus driver's teeth, they'll give you another medal? Jeez. You think I wouldn't have been prepared? Two years I spent setting up that elevator job. Two years I invested myself in it. You couldn't understand the kind of commitment that I have. You're wearing a man's life's work, and you think you can walk away. you got blinders on to the world, but I got your attention now, didn't I, Jack? Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. 3.7 million dollars. It's my nest egg, Jack, at my age. You've got to think ahead. When I find you- Pop oh, quiz, hotshot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes fifty miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below fifty, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do?
2: You know, subtlety is not the name of the game in speed, and I think bond knew that, and if he's, you know, not good for anything, he's he's good for trusting that like he's got he had the right instinct while directing this like everybody on board pretty much realized the tongue-in-cheek nature of this project
1: but they also did a lot of things to the side that made it feel real right they contextualized it pretty well for example that was a very diverse bus far more representative of a bus you would probably see in LA than almost any other 90s action movie right where like you might have Carl Winslow as a token black cop but like that's that's the only person of color you see ever right I'm talking about Die Hard obviously Um,
0: well
2: there's also Argyle don't forget about Argyle
0: chilling out in the limo
2: with uh, the big stuffed teddy bear well, I always think about Star Trek 4 when Spock and Kirk are on a bus in San Francisco and the meanest looking dudes are three white punk rockers. But I think, yeah, this the diversity in this is well more represented. And also,
0: a real quick side note is that the amazing movie podcast, I Was There Too, hosted by Matt Gorley, did a whole episode on people from the bus from Speed. So if you want to hear what their experiences were like on this bus, because they were on this bus for a long time filming this movie, check that out. Anyway, back to your point, Tom.
1: I would also love to hear what Cameron has to say about being on this bus the entire time. Alan Ruck? The guy who played Cameron and Ferris Bueller's name. Yeah, Dale.
0: Alan Ruck, who's the he's the creepy guy who hits on Sandra Bullock, right? The tourist.
1: He's the tourist, yeah.
0: He was supposed to die and then they, they realized that was too far of like a removal or something and so they, they cut that out of the movie but like, he's like a really creepy, awkward dude who hits on Sandra Bullock and apparently she improvised the whole gum like gotta get away from him but like,
2: dude, relax. That's one of those moments I think that Tom's getting to where it like really kind of grounds the film like that's one of those real moments that shines through that helps me accept all the craziness that's going to be going on too
1: and two things to that first he didn't seem that creepy to me but that's only because I had only experienced him not even from Ferris Bueller's first but from watching Spin City in sixth grade I don't know if you guys ever watched oh yeah he was in it and he was real creepy so by comparison he was very tame in this film but also did anyone else pick up on this motif of gum? Right, like Sandra Bullock using gum to get out of situations. Keanu Reeves chewing gum through the entire elevator scene. I mean, they're they're soulmates.
2: I wondered too. They, there's something going on with this screenwriter. I think he's throwing little jokes in because there's two very small characters named Bob in this movie. One guy in the elevator in the beginnings named Bob, and then the first bus driver that explodes is named Bob, too. And he's doing something, too, with the Jeff Daniels character. Like, he's almost got like this weird screenwriter's intuition. Like, he mentioned something about, oh, um, just hang in till you get your pension and your crappy gold watch, and it turns out the pension and the watch is what sets off Dennis oh. Hopper. Yeah, And he also says to Keanu at one point, you know, you never know, you could go at any minute, and his character ends up kind of going at any minute. when he least expects it. I don't know. I I picked up on a lot of that kind of stuff too. Like, it's not stupid, you know? Like, it might be a dumb idea for some people to sort of grasp, but it's really kind of smart and well-written.
0: It's a lot better than you would think going into, like, if all you know is there's a bomb on a bus that can't go below 55 miles an hour, A, that's an awesome idea, but B, you're like, okay, there's almost nothing to it, you know, like, it's but it does, whether you want to get deep like Tom or you just want to sort of have through lines that actually pay off, I feel like I was reading, I want to find the actual people that said that they didn't want to do it, but, like, a lot of people, I think, were turned off to this movie because they thought it sounded stupid. Ed Harris opted out, he was supposed to be the Jeff Daniels role. I
1: think maybe at some
0: point Keanu Reeves might have Opted out. I don't remember. That might not
1: be right. I think that was speed two, but yeah. <laughs>
0: well, no. Yes, he opted out of speed two to go on tour with his band Dogstar. Well, we were only talking okay. about Dogstar that, too that's much also, on this.
1: That's also not entirely true either. I think that's like a misconception. I was reading about. I think he just didn't do it because he wanted to take a break because he had just recorded a film he had just recorded that and also I think he realized that the script was pretty terrible
0: Keanu Reeves initially turned down the role in this movie as he found Graham Gio's original script to be too much like a diehard ripoff but then he signed on when Jan Dubon brought in Joss Whedon to retool the script Hmm. Rennie Harlan and Quentin Tarantino both had the chance to direct this movie they both turned it down and then Quentin Tarantino went on to say this is one of his 20 favorite movies in the last, like, 20 years or something. I
2: can see Rennie Harlan kicking the shit out of this movie, actually.
1: Can you imagine what this would look like as a Tarantino film, too?
2: I could not imagine...
1: When Sam the bus driver gets shot, it would just be brains everywhere. Oh, you shot Marvin in the head.
2: <laughs> it would all be about the passengers, right? That's the movie we would get. It would be like nothing about all the All flashbacks to where they were that morning. Right, right. Where were you <laughs> before you got on the bus?
1: I kind of want to know what happened to Cameron. I keep calling him Cameron. The, the tourist before he got on the bus. Because when he went back to that airport, it seemed like he had a traumatic experience earlier that day.
2: He said it took him like three hours to get from the airport to the city. I would love to see that. It also took Dennis Hopper two years to concoct his elevator bombing plan, and yet he was able to call an audible the very next day and set up (laughs) what seemed to be a way more elaborate bus bomb plot.
1: You know, I had thought about that, but also based on their indictment of bureaucracy in general, I cannot imagine that the award ceremony happened the next day after they'd saved all those people. If anything, that probably happened like maybe three and a half years after... (laughs) <laughs> and Jeff Daniels was still like, like he got shot in the leg, right? He was just in a cane. There, there must have been, there must have been more time in between. You would think, at least.
2: It would have been great if they inserted a title card like three months later.
1: I also don't know
2: how much money you could really get for an
0: elevator full of hostages because he wants three million dollars or whatever. But the elevator with Patrick Fischler, aka the creepy dude from Mulholland Drive from Winkies, right? Because he's just like the scariest scene in that movie.
1: Yeah, that was Bob, right?
0: Well, okay, so here's what's interesting. His name is Bob, but on IMDb, he's not credited as Bob. There's another character in this movie called Bob, as I think we mentioned. He's just like CEO or CFO's friend or something. But they call him Bob twice in the movie. So Multiple know, times, yeah. I don't know why he didn't get a name on IMDb, but I mean, hey, all right. Because nobody on the elevator really shows any kind of personality except for him and the guy who makes fun of him and the woman who's yeah. scared to get off.
1: That guy was being a real jerk, too.
0: I know. Everybody else is just sort of filler, and he, like, literally has his name said twice, and IMDb's like, nah, whatever. He's just the guy's friend.
1: Yeah, but I mean, what would IMDb do? Like, Bob 1, Bob 2, Bob the bus driver, Bob the elevator guy, right? I don't know. So, Joey, I have a point, too, that I'd like to bring up. because, Mike, you just brought up, like, how kind of ridiculous some of the, the dialogue was. And I feel like that is really where Sandra Bullock's Annie just, like, shined. She really made this movie for me in a lot of respects like every time i thought like they said something that might just be too stupid or keanu like leaned into a little bit too much and made it a little too cheesy she brought it home right so like for example at the very end or actually not even at the very end when they when they get off the bus the first time the when they get off the bus as opposed to off the subway he says
0: well or no early earlier in the movie she says that like after they get off the bus, but before the subway, I think I know what you're talking about. And this, if, if yeah. it's not right, we can go back. But she says, you know, relationships based on high pressure situations don't tend to work out. Right. And so then later in the movie, when they get of the subway, he says the same thing to her, and she's like, "Well, then we'll just have to base it on sex and just like, it's it such a horny cheesy line, but yeah, she nails it.
3: Not
1: gonna get mushy on me, are you? <laughs> Maybe. <think> yeah <laughs>
3: Hope not, because, you know, relationships that start under intense circumstances, they never last. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I've done extensive studying on this. I have to warn you. I've heard relationships based on intense experiences never work. Okay. We'll have to base it on sex then.
0: Whatever you say, man. I also want to have a disclaimer here that I love Sandra Bullock like a middle-aged woman, and I'm so very looking forward to them sort of reconnecting in the lake house. I don't know if they actually do reconnect in that movie, because the whole thing... That's the movie The Magic Mailbox, right?
2: Magic time-traveling letters, yeah.
0: So I don't know if they ever... I, I don't want spoilers. I don't know if they ever meet up in that movie, but I'm very much looking forward to her 14 years later. Also, fun fact, Sandra Bullock is only like five weeks older than Keanu. She and Keanu and Cage all born in 1964 amazing year. That means I think what we need to do, Mike, is we can only do podcasts about people born in 1964.
2: <laughs> that's a, that's amazing.
1: It might be worthwhile to to maybe explore Senator Bullock's career now. Uh, I mean, if you really just want to watch Speed 2.
2: Well, I know it's on my list. Eventually, before I die, I'm going to have to sit myself down and Swallow Speed 2. At you haven't some seen point. Speed 2? <laughs> I've never seen Speed 2. No, I've oh, man. Yeah, I've actively avoided that somehow my entire life.
0: I just looked it up. I'm surprised that Jan Debonts only directed 5 movies.
2: Yeah, he's mostly a cinematographer.
0: But like the the movies he's done have been so weird. He did two speed movies. He did Twister. He did some movie the Haunting, which I don't know, and then he did the Tomb Raider sequel, which is maybe worse than Speed 2. <laughs> also, let's pour one out right now for Brangelina, who just broke up as we're recording this.
1: Yeah. Also, that is a terrible... It's not a good filmography. Well,
2: it's not a good directing filmography, but he, he's more of a director of photography, so right, I right. kind of give him a little lenience. At least Speed looks amazing. So, he's <laughs> even <laughs> if he didn't shoot it, like he definitely knows how to make a movie look Really awesome. Like, if you don't know what he did behind the camera, and I'm
0: sure there's ones I'm skipping over that I don't know, but he did Roar, he did Die Hard, he did The Hunt for Red October, he did Basic Instinct, he did Lethal Weapon 3. So, I mean, he's got good stuff to his name. It's just the movies he tends to direct, I think there's maybe one in five good ones.
1: There were only five, Joe. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, that well, no, literal, one, no one, that in a, that was, one in five. One in five. No, I know, but I'm not saying like that's not like a reduced ratio. That oh is... yeah,
0: no, I'm not dividing. It's just one in f- one movie out of five. Also, one of his
1: five movies. <laughs>
0: apparently, John McTiernan, who directed Die Hard, was supposed to direct this, and he dropped out. So,
2: mm, yeah, didn't he go to prison though? Isn't that why? <laughs> oh, I don't know. i <laughs> He doesn't went away for that. a while. Also, according to Yon de Bont,
0: Keanu Reeves wasn't used to playing a role requiring such extreme reactions, which I feel is hard to believe.
2: Yeah, Ted had a lot of extreme reactions.
0: Yeah. We talked about a lot on the last episode when we did Little Buddha about how Keanu sort of plays himself in a lot of movies, and that's what people like about him. I feel like we've seen him get animated and sort of a little over the top. I don't really know that he has really extreme reactions in this movie, much more so than another other stuff, would you say?
2: No, I don't know what he's looking for. I don't know if it would be appropriate for the character to really, you know, what stick out his tongue or cross his eyes, or I don't know what he, what he means by extreme, But I like his performance here. I think he brings it.
1: He, he just, loses he really... his cool a couple times, right? Like after Harry dies, you see him like. Well, yeah,
2: it takes him a lot though. It's like after Harry right? dies, he loses his cool. But, but
1: I think that's, yeah, I think... that's
2: the thing. Is like his character supposed to be cool in a crisis, not lose his head? I feel like it's the Annie character who's more of that cipher. You know, even though she never gets. Gets really full-on hysterical, which I think is good. She's actually a really great character. She's, she's great, you know, tough as balls in this movie and stuff. And I remember I actually saw this in theaters, and I think this was the first time I ever saw Sandra Bullock on screen. And it was just like almost like she's always been in movies. You know what I mean? It's like one of those times where I was just like, oh, she must have been in a hundred things before Speed because she just seems so natural. And
1: yeah, she crushed it.
2: Yeah, she's got great comic timing. I almost wondered if her character was a comedian because we never get any backstory to her whatsoever or anything. So that's the one detriment to her character is we're not really sure where she came from. But while she's there and on screen, like her presence is awesome in this film. I really do want to do Sandra Bullock Club because I
0: want to watch Demolition Man again. I want to see this movie again. I mean, there's lots of movies that she's in that she's just great. I just love her. I'm sorry. I just love Sandra Bullock. Don't be sorry. Okay, in terms of casting then, going back a step, Jan Devon said he cast Keanu Reeves because he saw him in Point Break and saw that he was vulnerable on the screen, and he's not threatening to men because he's not that bulky, and he looks great to women. But, but he's
2: huge in this movie, he right? He's huge in this movie. He like gained like 20 pounds. He looks big. You could visibly tell he looks different.
0: Do
1: you think some of that perception of him not being huge has anything to do with the fact that he was the only representative of mixed-race, partially Asian men that you you saw in, in 90s film? I mean,
2: there was guys like Jackie Chan and Jet Li and stuff, but you're right. Like, I think in this type of mainstream Hollywood film, role. Most people just kind of consider him to be, I don't even think they, like most people realize he's Canadian. I mean, I just think they consider him (laughs) to be like a white guy, you know, but you're right. Like I even pick up a little on that when we get to the Matrix, like I almost wondered if Neo was supposed to be Japanese or something Mm. originally, and they found Keanu and they're like, well, you know, we can't fund this movie if we get a Japanese actor. So (laughs) Keanu brings the look a little, you know, going back a little further to the whole thing about just male masculinity, this was sort of the, realm where we stopped getting a lot of arnold schwarzenegger big guys and sort of these what you would consider to be kind of scrappier action heroes and stuff and with point break like no one really considered keanu to be able to kind of hold an action movie and here he is doing his second one and doing it well too like i don't feel like he's having any trouble being like the big action persona here whatsoever
0: Do you want to know a list of people who were offered this role and turned it down? I would love to know that. It's almost easier to say who wasn't offered this role and turned it down, because this list is insane. I also don't know what order it's in, because it starts off with Stephen Baldwin and William Baldwin, which, okay, fine. Jeff Bridges, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Michael Keaton, Tom Hanks, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, Jim Carrey, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Nicolas Cage, Mickey Rourke, John Travolta, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Mel Gibson, and Harrison Ford. Now, I don't know how much truth there is to that. I also don't see a world in which all of them turn that down and then the movie gets made anyway. But still, that's crazy. Also, I read that this movie was originally going to be a vehicle for Jeff Speakman, who (laughs) is amazing. (laughs) is amazing, but after I think the perfect weapon flopped... Oh, it did? They uh, said, this is not going to be a Jeff Speakman vehicle. Pun intended. If you haven't seen Street Night, go find Street Night and watch Street Night. Jeff Speakman is such a hero to the Case Club Podcast Network as a whole that I emailed him when in college and tried to get him to speak at our school and he wouldn't speak about his movies. He only wanted to offer a self-defense class for women because he doesn't act anymore. He just does Ken Poe. And so I was like oh, I can't pay you t- I can't pay you $2,000 to do self-defense. I want you to talk about movies. Like I have money to pay you, dude. Just talk about Street Night. Anyway, Jeff Speakman, great.
1: Was there the option to do both? No,
2: I don't think there was. I tried. I, have, I still have the emails. He's running from that past. He kind of was. I have a feeling he wants to forget his time in Hollywood.
1: Interesting. I'm also just trying to imagine what this movie would have been like if Tom Hanks had been. It's funny
2: because I remember the only other movie I saw this summer as many times as Speed was Forrest Gump. Like, I think I was about 13 or 14 when this came out, and there's really nothing or nowhere you could go if you wanted to hang out with your friends away from your parents and away from home. Like, we always went to the movies, and I must have seen Speed like six times that summer. And the other thing was Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks. We can play a fun game, because I have an even longer list of women that were considered for
0: the Annie role. Apparently, Halle Berry turned down the role and said it was one of the worst decisions she ever made. Yeah, she would have been
2: good, actually.
0: She would have been really good. But here are other women, other actresses who turn turned this down. I want to come up with the weirdest pairing of actor and actress. Because I think, oh, like, man. you can't think about speed without these two. Like, they're perfect in the roles. Here's the women who they considered instead of Sandra Bullock. Aside from Halle Berry. Rosanna Arquette, Kim Basinger, Glenn Close, Gina Davis, Cameron Diaz, Carrie Fisher, Bridget Fonda, Jodie Foster, Melanie Griffith, Daryl Hannah, Mariska Hargitay, Barbara Hershey, Angelica Houston, Diane Lane, Jessica Lange, Jennifer Jason Lee, Kay Lenz, Alyssa Milano, Demi Moore, Tatum O'Neill, Sarah Jessica Parker, what? Michelle Pfeiffer, Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Winona Ryder, Jane Seymour, Ali Sheedy, Brooke Shields, Meryl Streep, Emma Thompson, Meg Tilly, Marissa Tomei, Kathleen Turner, Sigourney Weaver, and Deborah Winger. So aside from the fact that they just basically took every woman who was ever in any movie in the 90s and just put them on this list, there's crazy diversity in terms of age and the type of actress that they are. I mean, they're mostly all just white women, but still, there's a lot of breadth here to who that could have been.
1: I could see Angelica Houston killing it in that role. And I also love the idea of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks basically (laughs) doing Sleepless in Seattle on a bus (laughs) with a bomb on it. I would like to see
0: Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage reprise their role Uh I guess
2: this would have been before I would have liked to have seen Winona Ryder and have a reunion from Dracula and I actually think Winona Ryder kind of has like that Sandra Bullock thing going on like they're kind of they seem to be in the same sort of class for me and I think she would have worked of all the people you listed off to be quite honest this role could have been tailored fit to any one of those women really to play to their strengths because like if you look at the character annie like i said she is kind of a blank slate the only thing i feel like i'm getting from her is what sandra bullock's bringing through from like her personality it's like she's almost playing herself instead of a character and i feel like anyone would have just brought that to the role. It doesn't seem like there's oh you gotta play her this way, this way or she needs to be young or old or any. I just feel like she could be anybody
1: and, and Mike, I think you're so right but I think the way that Sandra Bullock played it really brought a tremendous amount of depth to the movie, right? For all the aforementioned reasons and when you I listened to that list, like a couple names I could see it like doing a good job I think the one that jumped out to me the most I'm like oh that one actually would have been pretty good would be Marissa Tomei right? But I also think in all those situations, I would have been like, oh, yeah, they would have been good in the movie. And then I would have said, like, oh, yeah, they did a good job. That's a really dumb movie, right? And in, in many scenes, she's reeling Keanu in. She plays a great foil to him. She she grounds it in the ridiculousness in a really honest and, and balanced way. I, I just love that performance. I'm really happy that they cast Sandra Bullock, and Keanu Reeves in, in those respective roles for that very reason. Because all the other people you mentioned would just make it a very different movie. And I can also see that version of it not having the gradual release of disbelief that we had talked about before. If Keanu Reeves wasn't playing the, the pretty confident, calm, never cracking and freaking out, and it was like someone freaking out. What was that movie that Tom Hanks was in with the with the dog, right? Where he played the cop. and Turner and Hooch. Yeah, right? Like... If he did that and speak like it would have just been a mess because you can't be freaking uh, effectively. Keanu Reeves played the straight man to the chaos, which is everything else around him. I don't know if anyone else on the list could have pulled it off in that way. So, of all the
0: people that I said there is, there was apparently an original. I don't know if it was what the movie was written for, but the way you describe it as he like his straight role to kind of the comedic relief or the sort of the zany character of Annie of Sandra Bullock, sort of the the more light role. I don't know if it was when it was first written or if it was when they first cast it or whatever, but apparently the original idea was for Jeff Bridges to be the Keanu role and Ellen DeGeneres to be the Sandra Bullock role. She was going to be the comedic relief to his serious role. Last year, apparently, Ellen DeGeneres said that she was never considered or was never offered the role or whatever, so who knows how actually true this is. But I think that's the important thing. Like You need to have someone who's likable and a little bit silly up against someone who's... You can't have a Turner and Hoot situation because you need somebody who's, like, you've been saying all episode long, right? Like, you know, confident and self-assured and serious and stoic. You can't have two silly people because the bus would blow up. Like, (laughs) there'd be no one there to save the day.
1: Right, but you also need to have them kind of towards the middle. Sandra Bullock is, like, a little zany. Keanu is a little more serious. But they're both pretty moderate because everything around them was so ridiculous. And that works. But it wouldn't work if they were zany and crazy and everything around them was also zany and crazy because that would just be nuts. I mean, I guess you could do it the other way around, too, which is someone that's really serious and someone who's really zany in a really normal situation. But that's also basically every Paul Rudd movie, you know. So I think they they kind of struck the right balance for a film that is that is based on the idea of there being a bomb on a bus that will detonate if you go under 50 miles an hour.
2: I think they got really good chemistry, you know, like they I oh, really yeah. believe that by the end of this that, yeah, they would try and make a relationship work. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they've they're they got enough in common that I, it's believable. Yeah, totally. For As far as like zany, wacky characters, they really kind of regulate that mostly to Dennis Hopper, I feel, for the most part. And why I feel that works is he's kind of by himself for the most of the movie, it's like talking to Keanu on the phone. So there's like this kind of detachment from him for most of the film that you just have this distance that is helpful for digesting everything that's going on. Like on top of this speeding bus, the fact that it's this, you know, crazy madman bomber missing a thumb, watching a hundred televisions, you know, in his crappy apartment and just being this tech bomb wizard guy and every like just the, you know, the nuttiness of all of that to the side is also going on too. So it's helpful that they don't go too deep into the characters of the bus, and that Sandra Bullock isn't, you know, like, we don't have a uh, Abbott and Costello thing going on, where, like, is the total straight man, and Sandra Bullock is just, like, the goofy comedian thing. There is, like, a nice balance about them that feels believable. If they had cast someone like Ellen, I just feel like her being a comedian might play yeah. wrong. The fact that Sandy Bullock isn't a comic, she's able to be a comedic actress or a funny actor, that's what's really working.
0: What I think is funny is, like, Sandra Bullock is believable, right? In that she's, like, she steps up and, like, handles this from the very beginning. We didn't even talk about the guy who pulls a gun on Keanu, and then Keanu basically is, like, talking him down, and the other passenger decides to be a hero and tries to tackle the guy, shoots the bus driver. Bus driver's now sort of out of commission for the rest of the movie. Sandra Bullock gets in there and drives the bus for the rest of the movie.
1: And literally, as soon as she sits down, says, I just feel like I should let you know I had my license suspended for speeding, right? Like, how, how perfect was that? And
0: I, w- I wish that Keanu was just like, I think we'll be okay. Like, there's there is such an opportunity there for, like, a perfect corny line, and I'm not sure if it was a good thing or a bad thing that he doesn't say anything, that he just sort of lets that slide, which I guess plays into his serious nature, right? Like, he's not, like, there's the opportunity for a joke there, but he's not going to make the joke?
2: He comes around to that at the end, right? Like, at the end is when he starts answering her quips and stuff. I feel like they build to that back and forth. It's not there right at the start, but there you still feel the potential that, of it to be there.
1: And he also does it at the end when the situation's over, right? Like, even that one scene you were mentioning, Joey, where the, the guy pulls the gun because he says he's a cop, he immediately says, like, Listen, I'm putting my gun down. I'm taking my badge off. I'm not a cop. I'm just a person, like, recognizing the depth of this potential situation, Mm -hmm. like, empathizing with this guy who just pulled a gun on him in such a deep way, in a way that was, like, totally not procedural, but absolutely necessary given the context of the situation.
0: Yeah. What I really like... We've talked about how Keanu and Sandra Bullock have... We're talking a lot about how Keanu plays this part perfectly, and we've talked about how he relates to her in a good way, but we haven't really talked about them sort of acting like a married couple, and sort of like in different stages of the married couple. Toward the end, it's sort of more playful, it's sort of maybe more early on in the relationship. But one of my favorite things is when he takes off the panel on the bottom, and he's on the phone with Jeff Daniels, and he's like, hey, man, we got this bomb here. They're trying to like basically figure out if it can be disarmed, how it can be disarmed. And Sandra Bullock's like, hey, Jack, Jack, you might want to look at this. And I just love that like, he's like straight up ignoring her.
1: And you yes. would think,
0: you know, you're on the phone, you're doing something important, but also at the same time... This civilian is driving a bus that cannot go below 55 miles an hour, and she's screaming your name. You might want to pay attention to her, at least like check in and see what's going on. But I love that like it's just sort of oh he never listens to me. They're in this weird part of their relationship, and she has to shout his name like five or six times, and he's finally like what? And she's like uh what do I do? Like he doesn't really think of her as anything other than this woman in the situation now. But it's this weird sort of complex as they're gonna start this relationship off screen or maybe at the very end of the movie on screen, it's way down the road or just like, he's like super into what he's doing. And like, she's just sort of this annoyance kind of to him. I don't know. Like it's sort of demeaning, but it's also really funny. I think
1: I didn't under, I didn't take it that way. I, I imagine that is like, he's worried about the bomb situation. Cause he feels like he's finally getting close to solving it, getting this information to his buddy who can do it. And it, I got the vibe that he, and maybe this is just because I felt like the chemistry, the two of them had was absolutely palpable. And as a result, I took that as kind of like an innate trust with her, right? I oh, don't know, you got it, right? Whatever you decide to do, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And that is kind of ridiculous, considering, like you said, she is a civilian who's driving a bus. I can't go under fifty miles an hour, otherwise it'll blow up. That was a testament to them as a couple, and I think part of the reason why why you believe that they might work at the end of the movie and why. Everyone hated Speed 2 because it basically just said, like, oh, yeah, it didn't work out, right? Like, no, screw you. That worked out. If that didn't work out, I don't know what love is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I totally buy that moment too. I, I'm more, I'm more in the Tom camp here. I think too, where he just has like such an innate trust. Maybe, maybe in people, but definitely in her. Like he's like, okay, she can handle it. So like, she's got the driving down. I've got to deal with the bomb. It's almost more of a situation of he's trying to juggle everything, like too many things at once. And yeah, that's a really hard back and forth to pull off to feel natural. And it's incredible, just like how normal, it seemed to me, watching it. And I totally love Joey's idea that this is just, like, uh, an entire relationship across the span of one movie. Like, they're experiencing it on the bus and everything, because... I mean, if you think about it like that, yeah, it also plays to what you're saying, where they're at the point where you kind of tune out your partner to for certain things because you have to judge what's more important at the moment or whatever reason or something. But I think it works both ways. I don't know, whichever way is the real way, the moment is a great moment in the movie, and it just solidifies that grounding in reality because that does feel like such a genuine thing.
1: I would like to make a hard pivot at this point. It feels like the one character we haven't discussed in, in nearly enough depth is Dennis Hoppers, who I just keep referring to him as Dennis Hopper because I keep forgetting his name. But Howard Payne, the, I don't think that name was said once in the film, except when maybe they got his mugshot. But there were just so many things. Joe, you said before that like he was kind of ridiculous. He was the only one. Or maybe, Mike, you had said it. But, man, that guy didn't make any damn sense, right? Like, he's missing a thumb on his left hand right? But he always brings the phone to his left ear, right? I I remember that as like, as a little kid and be like, oh, that's a great acting choice. But then watching it now, I'm like, no, I was an eight-year-old idiot because there's, there's no way he loses his left thumb and has right ear damage in the same move. Unless those are just unrelated incidents, which given the limited character backstory doesn't really contribute anything to the character other than just a weird thing to do, right? I'm understanding this happened on a, I'm assuming a weekday, because everyone's going to work, but he's watching football, right? So, like, I don't know. Just nothing the man did made any sense to me, and I love it.
2: Yeah, it's amazing what I'm willing to accept.
3: <laughs> I realize that
2: watching a, watching a movie like this is like, wow, I can be so gullible <laughs> like watching films sometimes, but love it. I almost felt like his thumb was supposed to be some kind of reveal or secret at some point in some way. I felt like there needed to be more with that. Because would he be able to build intricate bombs and plant them missing a thumb like that? Don't you need... Like both of your thumbs. That's why it took him two years. <laughs> Is that why it took him two? Okay, yeah. <laughs> he came up with a
0: plan in like 12 hours, but he just took two years to actually build the bomb. Yeah,
2: he's a little inconsistent, but it just adds to the wackiness and everything. Yeah, I wondered about the football thing too, and, and he just happened to be watching a Wildcats game, and Sandra Bullock went to Arizona, so...
0: Mm-hmm. I have no trivia about the thumb, but apparently Jack Nicholson and De Niro were both considered for that role, but I think Dennis Hopper is kind of the perfect one here. Oh, he's great. I think, look, because, I mean, he's never really been a superstar like the other two guys, and he's sort of, I don't know, like, movies with like, superstar villains. I feel like the sort of the spotlight would go to them, and I think it's sort of good that it's understated here a bit.
2: Yeah, his presence carries so much weight he doesn't need to be on screen all that much really he almost could have just been a voice over the phone you know what i'm saying like he has that kind of presence and carries with him through his career like just that crazy (laughs) a crazy actor on screen i totally almost feel like this is as close as he ever got to playing a bond villain or something
1: yeah and Oh man, I just kind of wish they would have just given him a little bit more makeup for that thumb, right? Because uh, you could see it under under the whatever wrapping he had the, on, yeah, it, right? The it was prosthetic.
2: Like, or, yeah, he needed like damage to his face, like a burned face or something, or yeah.
1: And like maybe some motivation other than like to get my pension money, right? Because my pension's not covering it, right? Like you just spent so much money over two years building a bomb. How much did he spend on
2: that bomb? (laughs) All of his pension money.
1: Three million (laughs) dollars. I'm just trying to recoup my losses right now. (laughs) But also, he was, like, clearly an expert in in bomb making. But I do not think he was an expert in elevators, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, or buses.
1: Yeah, he must have, like, had to have gotten some sort of mechanical engineering training at some point.
2: Well, he was on the bomb squad, and well, that's another thing, too, is like, did you realize that Keanu's not even on the bomb squad? Like, he's just normal LAPD, and he's dealing, you know, with the elevator bomb, and this bomb, and he's the bombing, th- I don't he's know, that kind of guy. He's the bomb guy, but they don't ever call in, like, the bomb squad at any, I don't know. That well, I thought of...
1: Harry was the bomb squad, which is weird, because why is the guy the guy in the LAPD partnered with a guy from the bomb squad? Well, maybe he's,
0: tra- is he tra- what is he training for? Is he training to join the bomb squad? I didn't pick that up. Well, I mean, why else would he be quizzing him?
2: Well, I thought that was just their repartee, like, that's what
0: they always do is, you know,
3: Pop Quiz, Hotshot. Alright, Pop Quiz.
0: airport, gunman with one hostage, he's using her for cover, he's almost to a plane. You're a hundred feet away. Jack.
3: Shoot the hostage. Pop Quiz, Hotshot! Terrace holding a police hostage He's got enough dynamite strapped to his chest To blow a building in half Now what do you do Pop quiz asshole You have a hair trigger aimed at your head What do you do
1: What do you do
0: Because I was acquitting him so much of Johnny Utah I felt like he was in the force or whatever But like trying to get a promotion And so he was like let's run through some scenarios Maybe I just attributed all that backstory Maybe that's not even in the movie That he was trying to become something else
1: yeah, I don't know much about Jack, but I can tell you right now, he was not looking for a promotion, right? Like like I've said like seven times, he was chewing gum on an active gun scene, right? Like that is not what you do if you want to dress the part of a superior officer or somebody that's going up for another pay grade. That guy didn't give a shit and that's what we love about him. He did not want a promotion, Joey.
0: <laughs> I think he wanted a promotion. I'm sticking <laughs> with it. All right. I do wish that Dennis Hopper was weirder though. Like going back to him, I mean, because he's in Blue Velvet, we've talked about that Blue Velvet scene in a couple different movies, right? We talked about it in my own private Idaho. And in, I think in uh, even *Cowgirls Got the Blues*, right? Like that's sort of like the seminal moment in film and sort of in in Dennis Hopper history. I just wish that it was weirder in this movie. I even I do like that he has this one line early in the movie where he's like, "Don't fuck with Daddy." He calls himself Daddy in *Blue Velvet* too. Like there's elements of weirdness there. That just aren't fleshed out. And I don't know if it's maybe we just don't spend enough time with him. It also bothers me for him being this sort of evil super genius. How long it takes him to figure out that the tape is looped. Like it feels like well, 20 minutes. But like you're watching the tape. Because like, it's, it's been so long in the movie. And he finally realizes like that there was something that went wrong. And Someone- wouldn't
1: the news have covered the fact that there was an explosion at an airport. When a bus with a bomb on it. Explodes a plane? A 747? <laughs> yeah, like, are you kidding me? You would think.
2: I was almost having more trouble believing Dennis Hopper could have this camera in a bus that would send him, what, a Wi Fi signal to his computer <laughs> in 1994? Sure. How is he getting footage from that camera? Al Gore hadn't even
1: to... invented the internet yet, yeah.
2: There's tons. We could we could tear this movie apart, but actually, I mean, that's actually, also part of the fun.
1: <laughs> could, could we for a second, because I have a list of every gratuitous plot twist that occurred. From the moment they get onto the bus to the very end, I like I bolded all of this in my far too many pages of notes that I took as I as, as I watched this film. Can I do this? This is yeah. this is exciting for me. Yeah. Great. Here we go. Ready. First of all, as we said, they're on a bus that can't go under fifty miles an hour, or it will explode. Because uh, despite being in LA traffic, they somehow managed to get over fifty miles an hour at some point to trigger the bomb. Let's let's think about that for a second. But once that happens, first they hit traffic, right? Uh-huh. Then they hit. A garbage truck who happens to be backing out of a driveway, forcing the bus to go onto the wrong side of the road. And then they hit a decoy baby carriage just full of cans. And then the police escort can't get them onto the other highway because school children start walking across the street immediately after a police car rushes by. They have to make a hard turn where everyone has to move to one side of the bus so they don't tip over, right? And that's before the freeway isn't finished they finally make it onto a runway which is kind of crazy right why would you bring a bus with a bomb on it to a place with planes full of fuel and then there's debris on the runway that knocks people off Keanu punctures the fuel tank then as soon as all of this ends they end up on the subway when they haven't finished the subway tracks
0: I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the government incompetence, you said that the freeway wasn't finished. The subway's not finished either. They have this right. knack of finding public transportation or like places to done. go that just aren't done.
1: Yeah, and also, uh, you were mentioning tongue-in-cheekness before. They bust through a sign that says, 203 days without an accident. That's a long time, yeah. Yeah, that's another scathing indictment on how long this this public works project has been under construction.
2: The bus stuff almost feels like a greatest hit of a compilation of previous action movies best moments like i'm pretty sure that can fake out was in the french connection the jumping like a freeway reminds me of blues brothers driving on the wrong side of the road is just a classic I mean, you get that all the time uh, and it's just incredible that there's a premise where you can kind of string along all these amazing chase car action sequences. I don't know what do automobile action sequences, and still, when you do that, it's almost. I'm like, it's not enough. Like, I just want them to be on the bus, like almost another twenty <laughs> minutes or something. Like, they're at the airport already. Like, um, oh.
0: I was amazed that they're off the bus within in an hour thirty into the movie. I'm just like, oh, but like, like I knew that they need to sort of catch Dennis Hopper, but like, I want more bus stuff. I agree with
2: you. Like, give me more bus
1: stuff. They could have just done all the dennis hopper stuff still on the bus i think right like you didn't have to move to the subway right
2: yeah i think there could have been room for like a third act twist or something where one of the passengers was always a dennis hopper companion like worked for him or something and i don't know or dennis hopper
1: was on the bus the whole time <laughs> Yeah, right. Like they, turn, yeah,
2: it's sort of like a uh, a saw thing. Spoilers oh. for Saw, but like the guys in the room, the whole movie, and he gets up at the end. In a
0: very early version of the script, maybe the first version of the script, aside from the fact that the bus just couldn't go over twenty miles an hour, which is over twenty, it couldn't go over twenty, not under fifty, but oh, over... it had to go slow. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess I,
0: I don't know. Okay, so what was it? If it wasn't called Speed then. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but aside from that, there was this idea that they wanted to have Keanu's partner be the mad bomber okay and that so it was going to be this like big reversal that you know this guy who's helping him defuse the bomb is actually the guy who turns out to be like the psychic becomes the villain and so the producers eventually decided that the audience would not accept a sudden twist in the character so Jeff Daniels was kept as a good guy throughout, and the Mad Bomber was a separate guy. But then Graham Yost went on to write Broken Arrow, which where it's the same thing that happens. It's the best friend or the mm. you know the buddy becomes the villain. And so I like that you know, Graham Yost is just like I got this idea. I'm gonna make it into a movie at some point. Like I guess I can't make it in the Speed, but I'm gonna make it into that. I, I wish that in some kind of alternate reality, Dennis Hopper could have been on the bus, but.
1: I don't know. No, it makes no sense. I don't know why I said that. No, but it's no, but it's exactly, movie. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. No, but I
2: mean, it makes it makes as much sense as Jeff Daniels being the Mad Bomber in the way that it's written now. Like, I don't know that I would have bought that either. I mean, there's a way to do that, but it wasn't, I don't feel like it was set up here. But that would have been, that is like, in Broken Arrow, I don't, I haven't seen the whole thing, uh, so I don't know if it's a good movie, but at least he got to write it eventually. But what's sort of
0: frustrating, not really, not super frustrating, but this idea can't be done again unless it's a parody. And I have no interest in parodies. You can't have an hour-long or more than that scene on a bus with a bomb on it. Like, this, it's been done. And so the fact that they're off the bus so quickly robs us, the viewers, of a lifetime of more bus action. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're off but, the bus so quick.
1: Joey, I think that's perfect, right? Because, uh, like, you, you don't want a movie where you're like, yeah, that was just the right amount of bus, right? I think... Quite frankly, I, they could have ended the movie probably 20 minutes earlier, and I would have just liked it a lot, even more than I already do. And, I mean, as you, as you can tell, I, I love this movie, right? But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they sometimes got a little too explicit towards the end. Dennis Hopper saying, no, I'm not doing this because I want to kill cops. I'm doing this because I want money. But he also wanted to kill cops, right? You lined your house full of bombs so Jeff Daniels would blow up, right? Like, that was not something you did. So I don't think it was necessarily too little bus. I think it might just have been a little too much of other things.
2: Yeah, I think it got a little long there at the end on the subway. I think there may have been a cleaner way to wrap it up or something like they could have apprehended Dennis Hopper. Maybe who knows how they could have done it. But I think Tom's got an interesting point in that it leaves you wanting more in in a good way, you know, in, in the way in that, like, it makes me want to rewatch the movie, you know, to see the the bus stuff again. And there's something about this movie like they couldn't when they did the sequel, they couldn't do it on a bus again. You know, it had to be like another vehicle. Give me a boat
1: that only goes 20
2: knots per hour, or whatever. So, but sort of the idea that like this could never be done again. Like this is really it. Is all you get. Like I doubt they'll ever reboot this. They're not gonna remake. Speed and you can't really do speed three and put it on a bus. You know, it's and you can't really do it on an airplane these days either because not only I mean we've had those movies. We've got Con Air. We've got Air Force One. Yeah, I don't know that the boat thing would didn't work the first time. So it's kind of this little special movie that is unto itself, and I kind of love it just for being that. So apparently, when they originally pitched it to Paramount, Paramount said
0: that it had quote too much bus in it and they thought it should end after they got off the bus because they didn't think people would go for a movie in which a bus is driving around for two hours and then so gramios apparently then added the subway scenes i don't know why he did that following those notes but he added the subway scenes at the end and then pitched to fox and fox picked it up so
2: it like splits the difference away it's it's not More bus stuff, but it's another big action set piece. And it's kind it's a subway, so it's like an underground bus. Underground bus that's that's exactly that's the best way to describe a subway car.
1: I kind of love the idea of a of a movie executive just being like, hmm, too much bus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going home, cancel all my calls, like I'm done for the day.
1: (laughs) Also, uh so it's funny that you bring that up. So I mentioned earlier that Beener, my good friend from college, had mentioned an article it's on cracked it's called seven movies that are secretly sequels to other famous films okay one of them is that the rock is a secret james bond film Yep. and it's funny that you bring up speed three because they also argue that speed three is none other than gravity
2: oh oh it's sandra bullock yeah
1: yeah the one and only yeah
2: i'm sorry my head just (laughs) sort of like did a backflip when you said that (laughs) because i'm trying to piece it together
1: So it's basically Annie in space, now without any cops, just George Clooney.
2: (laughs) Clooney, who was considered for this role (laughs) among the rest of Hollywood. Not only do they say that Gravity
0: is Speed 3, but the the actual thing says, Gravity is Speed 3 and there's nothing you can say to change my mind. So it feels like this guy had this idea that Gravity is Speed 3. He's like, I'm going to write a whole article about it. So that's amazing. One other thing I wanted to say about the studios, while we're still sort of on that topic, one thing that we've noticed, Tom, as Mike and I have gone through this, is that Keanu seems to be casting a lot of things because he's this handsome dude that'll get people to come out to the theaters, and he's been casting things to sort of give, like, star appeal, right, Mike? You've seen him and stuff, cast, not stunt casting, but, like, cast not necessarily for his acting, but because box office draw one thing on IMDb says that 20th Century Fox was not convinced that Keanu Reeves had enough star power to front the film and insist on the big-name actress to star alongside him. Jan DeBond said no, and then Fox finally gave in to Sandra Bullock two weeks before they started shooting. So... It's weird to me that, like, apparently other studios were like, let's get Keanu because it's going to help our box office. But Box was like, I don't care, like, Keanu's not a big enough star, so I don't know what's going on in Hollywood this time. But apparently they were worried that this was not going to be a big enough success with these two actors, so they just, I guess they finally gave in, like, when they were going to start losing money if they didn't actually say, okay, go ahead.
1: I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Because Keanu's—I mean, you guys know this far better than I do—but like, he was in some like big movies before this, but like, he wasn't—he wasn't selling. No, he's—he's—he's he's a, like
0: he's a pretty—he's a pretty. At this point, he's a pretty big movie star. Like the last—the yeah. last three
2: or four years, he's been—he's been in a bunch of sort of big stuff. The thing is, too, since Point Break and since he's become a draw, he hasn't really done anything this mainstream. And so like his quote unquote star appeal has gotten small films to the screen or, you know, troubled projects, extra money. That's how it seems like. It's not that he is this bankable star yet, but I feel like this is the movie that Says he is that Yonda Bond was able to say, Look, he's like doing good stuff on this independent scene, he's helping to get like all these movies made, like he's doing good work there. I really feel like that is going to translate to the mainstream blockbuster Hollywood summer, and I feel like it did. You know, he doesn't have Patrick Swayze to fall back on in this movie, he's really up there by himself. I mean. Against Dennis Hopper, a seasoned vet. So yeah, this was this does seem sort of like the true test.
1: Yeah, and if he's not in speed, he's definitely not in the matrix. Right? Well, because because so... what's weird about Keanu.
0: And that's exactly what I was going to say, Tom, is that, like, he seems to have one major, major film role every, like, in a huge movie every, like, four or five years, and then in between, I guess those things, I don't know, for, like, creative expression or what, but, like, he did Bill and Ted, and then he did Point Break, and then there's this... And then there's The Matrix, and then it's sort of nothing for the... I mean, The Matrix is kind of his last one, sort of. But, like, there's this weird, like, from 88 or whatever to 99, there's, like, four films pretty evenly spread out i guess it's his i guess maybe his star power wears off a bit i don't know
1: but you know what i don't think that i don't think he was ever making and again you would you guys are clearly far more knowledgeable about keanu reeves movie history than i am but it seems like he is one to take roles that aren't blockbusters and really make them big right speed had the potential to not be particularly big he made it great Like, even in the past couple years, right? Like, John Wick came out. That got almost no publicity. But that was incredibly popular. So popular, they're making a sequel. And that's, from what I understand, almost entirely because of him and the work he did on that film.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing. And we just saw today that there's the first set picture of John Wick 2. So, I mean, John Wick, I feel, is, like... I want to say it's a huge movie. I don't know how big of a movie it is. I really don't know how much money that made. Speed cost 30 million to make. It made 120 in the US and it made 350 worldwide. John Wick Had a budget of yeah, like John Wick's not huge. John Wick cost twenty million, made forty three in the U.S. and eighty six worldwide. So like, it made money, but it's not a huge hit. It's just kind of his best film in a while. I mean, this was like a bona fide blockbuster, and apparently, this movie like ran out of money while they were making it, and so they just tested it to audiences, and like the whole subway scene was just storyboarded. But apparently, people loved this movie so much to the point where like producers and like the writers and everybody were watching screenings and people like when they had to go to the bathroom were like walking out of the theater backwards so that they could see as much of the movie as possible Like they knew <laughs> that this was going to be a hit so somehow fox like scrapped together some more money to make this movie but like this was a huge massive sensation john wick it's sort of more it's weird kind of like semi-mainstream cult movie in a way
2: yeah, it's yeah, weird. I, mean, I almost feel like more people know him from Constantine or Devil's Advocate, it's true. or like maybe even some of his flops. Uh, and John Wick is well-received, and he does great in it, and I think it's popular because people have almost kind of written Keanu off at this point for some reason, or just don't expect him to do anything new or innovative. And, John Wick actually brought a side of Keanu out that we hadn't seen, that more sullen, revenge-seeking side. He's still cool, calm, and collected and everything, but he's definitely bringing out the darkness Way more than we've ever seen him do, As, especially yet in Keanu Club. You know, up to this point, everything's really been either a comedy or an action film. I feel, or, or like a strange indie drama. But he's getting there. Though. Well, so for an actor of his
0: caliber, he's only been in six movies that have grossed a hundred million dollars in the U.S. The three Matrix movies at the top on his list. Then something's got to give. Speed and Parenthood in that order. If you adjust for inflation, Parenthood, you know, more than doubles because that, that made a hundred million dollars back in what like 89 so i mean that was huge uh you just for inflation speed becomes number three pounder becomes number four but you know keanu reeves is like a movie star and still i guess isn't like a huge draw like it's, it's weird
2: but well, there's just more now you know we talked about this before too with other guests where it's like nowadays you have more to choose from and there's just more mediums and more things to watch and bigger stars like you you know even Tom Hanks had a movie go straight to on demand this year like you just can't really bank on star power these days it's yeah, true. way more about the story or uh the other talent involved like directors or producers like JJ or Joss Whedon like people connected to them and people you know offshoots of those people and so forth and so on it's more about like the behind the scenes it feels and it's becoming less about star power
1: Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it depends on the genre, too, right? And I think Keanu Reeves, Tom Hanks to a much larger extent, they were action stars, but I don't think they'll ever be remembered for being action stars. They're remembered for being good actors who starred in action movies. Whereas, for whatever reason, Mark Wahlberg creates a crazy draw. And he's... He's so bad. Like there's... he came out of
2: nowhere too. That's what I'm saying. Like I feel like whatever, wherever he came from, and whatever pull and push and pull that he's doing to get those movies made is like detracting from projects that should be made with guys like Keanu.
0: So is there is there a bigger? This is an argument that I've been having a lot lately. Is, is there a bigger movie star, not action star, but movie star, right now or maybe arguably ever than Tom Cruise? Movie star or action star, or is there a difference? I don't know. I, I Movie star, I think. Because, I mean, Tom Cruise is sort of both. Or he's become both. I don't think he was always an action star, but he's sort of become both.
1: I would say he's an action star. I wouldn't say that he's a movie star. In my, in my mind, when I categorize a movie star, I'm thinking of the ways that they can cross genres, right? So Tom Hanks would fit that bill far more than Tom Cruise, who has been successful in other things like Tropic Thunder, but pretty much kind of sticks to blowing stuff up and letting his hair blow in the wind, you know? Yeah,
2: I think maybe internationally, though, he might be perceived as, like, the biggest star in movies. I think if you want to just put it that way, like, action star, actor, like, he doesn't really do, like, a lot of straight drama, especially. Yeah, he's way more into spectacle films at this point at least well because but, like i just I... Fe-
0: I just feel like you know like you mentioned mike that tom hanks put out hologram for a king which was i think in theaters maybe for like a week and then just went to on demand but i just don't see tom cruise having a movie go straight to vod like we saw you know the last 10 years of cage's career has basically been almost exclusively vod keanu had knock knock almost go straight to vod exposed i think went straight to vod so i mean these are guys who were at one time to some extent like box office draws that just don't have it anymore and maybe that's just the shifting landscape
1: i don't know yeah but remember they're also really old so i think tom cruise is kind of a, a miracle they still making the movies that he made when he was 20 and 30 when he's 50 and 60 that's, praise that's, that, is, that is absolutely an anomaly and not something that is normal in hollywood today
2: I think a lot of it might be Hugh Jackman syndrome as well. You know, like, he really showed that the what is considered to be the older man can be still in the same shape as, like, a 30-year-old guy. So, like, we could see these videos of Keanu in training camp for John Wick 2 and watch him move like he's this young kid still and stuff. Whereas I feel like back in the day, you know, movie stars were signed to contracts and then put out the pasture almost, or only the greatest really survived to make it another decade.
1: Or they did just, other things, right? Mm-hmm. They, like, they went into... Tel- Television. Instead of action movies, they became the governor of California Ooh. instead of doing action movies, right? Like, yeah, politics. There are other things they could do. They might have other passions. Uh, it doesn't seem like Tom Cruise does, and like all the power to him, he's been exceptionally successful at it. I watched a Sunday morning clip on Keanu Reeves, and it looks like he's incredibly happy with his life. Oh, he's he's the, totally yeah. at
2: peace. Yeah. Making yeah. motorcycles, too.
1: Yeah, man. Just living it up.
2: Well, I think that could be it as well. Maybe he could be the kind of actor or these actors may be in the position where they don't have to quite work as much. And then when they think they've got a script that just feels like a sure thing you just don't know what the climate of the market's ever going to be so it never really turns out the way you might expect or in the case of John Wick it becomes like this nice surprise hit so that could also there's all these like attributing factors it could be but yeah it is it, it is just kind of strange how actors seem to have a lifespan on screen or like they go through cycles like they'll disappear for 10 years like I think of Burt Reynolds in Boogie Nights like all of a sudden he shows back up with gray hair and doesn't care if he looks cool or not, and he's just all about doing the acting. So who knows if in, like, 10 years or 20 years, like, Keanu's going to do a move like that, you know? It's, it's kind of... I anticipate those days.
0: And speaking of who knows what's going to happen next just close to our hearts I think while we were recording this I found news that Nicholas Cage is going to start a new thriller called Looking Glass so I mean this guy just keeps making movies like that's you know he, no matter what we can say about where these movies show up the fact that like Keanu and Cage and these guys that we love just keep making movies is really all we can ask for I feel like it's impossible to sort of hope for or you know wish that they're all these like 100 million dollar box office successes but the fact that they just keep making movies, keep giving us things to talk about. At the end of the day, that's kind of all we can ask for.
2: And you know, Joey, like, unless it makes a lot of money, then it's not good, so...
0: Right, no, it's only about money.
2: But I do think that looking
0: back at these movies, like, I'm just sort of curious in the box office, because it's hard to gauge, because like, Speed is sort of like a, an iconic movie now... And it made money back then, but there's movies that we've watched that just sort of don't catch on. Like, the reason that we did Cage and the reason that we're doing Keanu is because they're sort of, in one way or another, kind of maligned actors who are just thought of as one note. They, they always play the same guy. Like, Cage is always crazy, or Keanu is always the dope. And we're sort of setting out to see if that's true or not, I guess, in a way. It's easier to objectively see if things were critical and commercial successes 22 years after the fact, because we're able to see a Metacritic score or a Rotten Tomatoes score or a box office results and know that Speed's a huge movie now, but, like, how did it do back then?
1: That also begs a question, would Speed be successful today? Yeah, absolutely. Right? When people are taking Ubers, would it still resonate the same way when you have to take public transportation? Also, would it survive all those YouTube websites that just, like, deconstruct movies and talk about how dumb they are? Right? Like, we didn't even get to the point where we talked about the fact that there's C4 that was strapped to Sandra Bullock's chest – That he gets off and leaves on a train when he decides to derail it and ride it through downtown LA. That was a conscious decision this police officer made. That doesn't make any sense. Would that get the pass that it got Twenty. Two years ago, well, would they I get mean, that passed today? You people know? are always
0: going to nitpick things, but I think that this movie is enjoyable enough and over-the-top enough, and I think Mike said earlier, you sort of have to suspend your disbelief, and you're long for the ride, and I think that's totally okay. I'm okay with the fact that he left C4 just undiffused on a
1: train well, He diffused it. Oh,
0: he
2: did? He defused it, okay. yeah, to get it off of her. he he do that much.
1: If, if you have an explosive, even if you diffuse it, an impact will set it off, like... I don't know, putting it on the seat of a subway car that's about to go through the streets.
0: But hey man, as long as you don't bump my Star, star Lines, Star Van Tour or whatever, as long as you don't bump my van, <laughs> I don't really
2: care. I think Harry exploded before he got the lesson in how to handle the C4 once you've defused it. That's probably true.
0: We could talk about this movie forever, but I think that's kind of a oh, good... I could
1: talk about this movie forever. That's a good point to end on. <laughs> are
0: there any other glaring thoughts that you want to point out, or are we sort of happy with our discussion of speed and action movies and blockbusters and Sandra Bullock as the perfect woman, et cetera, et cetera?
1: There was just one more quote I wanted to, to read. I had watched it with my girlfriend and, a, and another friend of mine, and she had mentioned... This was a direct quote, and I wrote it down because I, I specifically wanted to say it. You guys can do with it what you will. But she had said Keanu Reeves performance in this was, quote, why girls like me develop complexes about the guys I want to date. I want a heartthrob that's reckless. A bad boy doesn't follow procedures. I mean, at at one point he said, quote, my night wasn't that great. I ended up alone. He said that to Bob, the bus driver, right? Yeah. And then she replied after that. He's kind of a dick. And also, I mean, it could be the 90s, but but it's the fact that he needs to be so noble and a dick. And that doesn't exist. And then she said, quote, Keanu Reeves has led to the destruction of my dating life.
0: I like how you set up. There's a quote that I want to say that I thought was going to be from the movie. And <laughs> me too. You're just quoting your girlfriend about how she wants to dump you for Keanu Reeves. I mean... oh, Let's clarify.
1: That wasn't my girlfriend. That was a friend of mine who I was watching it with. Okay, My girlfriend may want to dump me for Keanu. I would dump me for Keanu Reeves. But she did not say that, <laughs> to be clear.
0: Oh, man. My favorite throwaway line, because I watch all the movies that, for Keanu Club, especially the ones that I've seen, I watch with subtitles just to make sure that I can write down the lines right, and there's the one line that I wrote down that's maybe my favorite line in the movie, because it's so, like, such a throwaway, that after everybody gets off the elevator, and the elevator collapses, that woman's running away, like, they're all, it was 100% ADR, but they're all just running away, and the woman's like, oh, my shoe! Like, yeah. not not facing the camera, just completely, like, running out of frame and she's like oh my shoe like it's audible it's subtitled it's perfect
1: yeah i wrote that one down too the other throwaway li- actually i don't think this is a throwaway line i think this is part of the reason why when we said before Keanu was so, like so thoughtful and and seemed so real as jack was the quote when he said quote he's the asshole annie like that was Man, he got crazy therapist on that situation, <laughs> and, and I loved every second of it. Right, because like he is the preeminent crisis manager in action movies, and keeping a level head. And that was just that was just such a profound statement. I, I'm sorry I didn't bring it up earlier, but I feel like that's just great evidence to support that idea that he is really a deep, thoughtful person. And although my friend might think that that makes unrealistic expectations for what a man could be, I think it also sets a really unique particularly for the 1990s perspective on what we look for in an action hero uh, not just the the hyper masculine noble guy but also the person who is thoughtful and uh, understanding and selfless and does these things for the good of others and i think that was that really came through in the performance of jack by keanu mike any
0: last thoughts because that was
2: beautifully said by tom just quickly i love the score the music is just amazing Mm -hmm. right from the start it's got a real nice driving rhythm Mm -hmm. just as soon as it came on it just all hit me with in in a wave like how that that sound and that music is awesome. The stunts in this movie are pretty amazing. You know, we talked about some of the bus stunts and things, but it looks like Keanu was actually driving a little bit in camera in some of the shots. I wasn't sure. If not, they did amazing trick photography to make it look like it was Keanu in some shots. So in terms of stunts, Keanu did 90% of his stunts Wow. And Sandra
0: Bullock, like, studied for and passed on her first try the bus driver exam. So they were both, like, in this to win it. You know what I mean? Like, they were dedicated to this role. And also, I mean, something we've seen a lot of with a lot of the actors we do, Keanu and Jeff Daniels both went to or followed SWAT agents around to make sure that they could, like, get their movements right. So, I mean, everybody
2: was in this movie to create a good thing, you know?
1: Would Meg Ryan have done that? I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that totally enhances it when you know that it's Keanu driving and being there on the bus and they're driving in an actual bus on an actual highway. Like a lot of that, it really goes a long way to know that none of that was green screened. You know, at the most, maybe some of it was rear screen projection and I'm fine with that. And I think the final thing I just have to say is Toon Man.
0: Well, thank you very much, Tom, for being on this episode. I think that this is the last one that you'll be on because I would think we're running out of Keanu movies, but you were wonderful on this episode. I was so excited and happy to hear your profoundly deep thoughts about this movie. And you actually, I mean, not that I expect you to let us down, but like you really came through and it was was great.
1: Thanks, Joey. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see the episodes that we've done, see what's coming next, find other shows on the network. We have Now and Again, we have Zack Attack, we have Monkey Club, we now have brand new all his movies, the Shia LaBeouf podcast. So I mean, there's lots of things that you can listen to and enjoy on the Cage Club podcast network. So I hope you do just that. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi, And that was Tom Ng. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.